RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. And welcome to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm your nurse host, Abby, and today I have an amazing guest. Kenan Hutchinson is a fourth year PhD student in neuroinvasive virology at Northwestern in Chicago. He also is the creator and host of Science with Kenan on YouTube. He's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. He's been on MTV. Look him up. Kenan Hutchinson. He's amazing. We had such a good conversation. Also, all of these other things aside, he's just a really nice person and really fun to talk to, an amazing communicator. We got into it. We talked about fun stuff. Is dinosaur DNA able to be extracted from amber, like Jurassic Park says? What about... Um, we took some of your questions and they got deep, you guys. You guys came with some really deep questions. At the end of this episode, we talk about our legacy, <laughs> what we want to do for the world. I mean, we went there. Um, and Kenan is just the example of how you can make science really fun and really interactive. And a lot of people want to learn science and this information and he makes it really accessible and that's why I chose him. He's getting his PhD. I know he doesn't fit our standard, you know, medical doctor or DO criteria that we usually have on this episode, but I hope that you'll agree that he was just one of the best guests. So, I'm going to stop talking now. I hope you guys are okay. My foot is much better. I have a doctor's appointment today and I can move my toes. You guys, I can move my toes now. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, uh, check out my Instagram. There's a uh, there's a story about it. I think it's called the foot fund. Um, I, I had a little injury with my foot, but I'm doing much better. I just wanted to give you guys an update. Everything is okay. Um, one of my good friends sent up a GoFundMe and we've raised, as of today, we've raised $10,000 on the GoFundMe. And I just want to take a second to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness, for your generosity, and for allowing me to heal without what I'm assuming many of you wrote to me and have experience with either yourself directly or a family member. Um, you know, financial burden, the stress of that is really difficult when you're already going through um, an injury or an illness. So I cannot thank you enough. I love you guys so much. Um, okay, without further ado, Kenan Hutchinson, here we go. 
thank you so much for joining us. I'm like really, really, really excited about this episode. I was so excited for to talk to you. I love your Instagram and your YouTube and everything. Well, thanks. <laughs> I'm um, excited <laughs> to talk about this topic with you. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Sure. Yeah. So if you don't mind just introducing yourself quickly for, for everybody. Yeah, I'm always terrible at introductions uh, because I'm a grad student first and foremost. So uh, <laughs> I'm Ken Hutchison. I'm a fourth year PhD student in neuroinvasive virology here at Northwestern University at the, the Feinberg School of Medicine, so the downtown Chicago campus. Awesome. Um, but outside of that, I like to do a lot of science communication on the side. So also consider myself a science communicator. Yeah, so cool. Um, okay, so first of all, virology. I don't know anything about this field except for, you know, as it applies to COVID, like peripherally, you know, since what, what we've learned this past year. Um, could you just explain it, like break it down in layman's terms for me and then and then tell me why why it became your passion? Fields of science. So it crosses genetics with infectious disease, with cell molecular biology and immunology. Um, so it's not really just this one thing, but the primary focus is on understanding viruses. And so that can apply to disease, how we think about it for COVID. And so how a virus infects the body, whether that's humans or animals, and then how your immune system then interacts with that virus. Uh, so it's just this constant battle. But there's a lot of other cool things that you can do with virology as well. So we use them as tools, which we're seeing now even with these vaccines. Um, some of them are like adenovirus based. So we've actually used other viruses that we understand and we can use them as tools for tracing neurons, delivering medications, even gene therapies. So um, that's another cool thing that you can do with that. And then even outside of that, viruses have been around for as long as things that have been alive have been around for, maybe even longer. And uh, mm -hmm. we can actually use them to study evolution as well. So 8% of your DNA contains viral genes in it. So you are made up of 8% viral genes that you picked up through our history of evolving, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, uh, that is really <laughs> cool and weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're, they're very important uh, in all aspects of, of life. Uh, I got interested in it way back when. Uh, because I was interested in genetics. So I watched a TED talk about uh, doubling aging, essentially. So you can live to be 100, and when you were 100 years old, you would feel like you were 50. I thought that was really cool, but my, my school didn't have a really strong genetics program, so the closest thing I could get into was manipulating viral genetics um, in the lab of Dr. Catherine Miller-Hunt, who is the reason that I do what I do. Uh, so I started out studying mosquito-borne viruses, so viruses spread by mosquitoes. Uh, I got to do a lot of really cool research with that, worked with vector control, and presented all around the United States, and I fell in love with it. And she was like, you should apply to grad school. I was like, I think I could do that. And um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how my love for viruses started. It was really interesting just understanding how diverse viruses were, and then also like how simple how something so simple can cause diseases and things that are so complex. Definitely. Yeah. That is so interesting. Okay. Wait, I have a question. So you said about mosquito stuff. Okay. The thing in Jurassic park, <laughs> tell me the parts of that that are lame and tell me the parts that like maybe something. Yeah. Yes. It's a great question. Uh, my, my favorite pastime is just watching science on TV and being like, 
that's that's not me quite too. right. <laughs> I do that. I do that with medical shows. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay, well, I'm gonna have to follow up and ask you about your medical show and thoughts. Jurassic Park. Okay. I would love to just like have a mosquito that has that DNA that's preserved in amber. I don't think that we have DNA that's preserved that long. Uh, there's been some like really mammoth DNA uh, that I think that we have from like uh, hard tissues, like bone that's been frozen. Jurassic Park seems yeah. a lot older and a lot less likely, but my fingers are crossed that someday yeah. <laughs> it'll be real. Someday. Yeah. Could, okay. But like, just, just humor me for a second. Could it happen? Like, could, do you think that could be possible? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, scientifically it is, we are trying to do this. So we are trying to bring back egg for the sake of science, extinct animals. So this is something that's been talked about with woolly mammoths. So we have mm -hmm. fragments of their DNA, not their full genome, but they're closely related mm -hmm. to elephants. And so they've talked about like combining woolly mammoth DNA that we have with elephant DNA to try to bring back woolly mammoth. Or more realistically is something known as a passenger pigeon. So this is a bird that we hunted to extinction very within our recent human history. And uh, mm -hmm. we have the DNA of it. And that's something where it's like, okay, we can take passenger pigeon DNA mix it with the pigeon DNA that we have now and bring back this animal that's completely wiped off the face of the planet and bring it back to life, essentially. So if we found dinosaur DNA, I'm not going to rule that out. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and then the ethics of that, I don't know. But I, I mean, it's very it's interesting. True, it's true. I mean, that's that's a conversation for other people. But I would totally pay money to go to Jurassic Park, even though I've seen what happens in the movies. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's why they keep making them like they keep even in the movies. They're like, oh, yeah, the they got eaten in the other one. But like, we'll just do it again. Yeah, there's it's no fine. way it's going to happen five times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I watch um, like I'll watch like Grey's anatomy or something like that and they'll do like the they'll intubate the person or something and then instead of the like there being like an et tube where like you could connect it and like you know um it, it's just the the tubing itself that goes to the ventilator and it'll be like taped to the person's mouth or something like something so <laughs> stupid and like i can't even watch that kind of stuff with other people because i'm so annoying they're like abby it's a movie <laughs> like stop i'm like i know but it, why how hard is it to like get a nurse consultant on this set like right right <laughs> yeah I, I don't know why they don't have more science consultants i've been watching uh the good doctor do you watch that one at all I haven't seen oh, it. No, man. they have a they have a pandemic like episode where like or actually it's multiple episodes, but there's this like highly contagious virus that's running through there, and there's no one wearing PPE. They're just like, yeah, like, this is just completely normal. <laughs> we know it's infectious, but like let's just like have everybody hang out. It's like no. <laughs> Yeah, because they probably don't want to cover their actors, right? So they're just like, no, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Scrubs actually is weirdly accurate. This is what I always hear. And it's my favorite. That is my favorite medical show. So I'm glad that my favorite is, uh, is relatively accurate. Yeah, they must have had somebody on the set once in a while to like correct them. I don't know. Good, good for them. Uh, I'll give Scrubs a shot. Yeah. I mean. They have a podcast now. Really? Yeah, the guys, Turk and JD. Oh my yeah. gosh. Are they yeah. as like good of friends as they were in Scrubs? Yeah, they're actually really good friends. And I think that their podcast is about 
like being actors, but about being TV doctors or something. It's very funny. All right. I'm going to have to check this out after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is misinformation. Um, tell me about that. Talk to me a little bit about that and how it's affected you this year. It is probably the most painful thing I deal with. I thought as a scientist, like just like the amount of time that it takes for something to happen was the most painful thing, mm-hmm. but just blatant wrong information that gets spread. And the hardest part for me is the source. So it's hard to know whether or not people are just spreading misinformation because they genu- genuinely don't know. And so they make an assumption and then they say something that's not correct and that spreads versus there are definitely people out there who just do it maliciously. Like they're marketing Mm -hmm. something or they want to incite fear around something. And that's what hurts me the most. I did a debunking video. I think Dr. Northrup was her name. She was like an OBGYN who's like famous from Oprah or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I tend not to look into people's stuff. I just want to look at the science so I can be as objective as I can about it. But she is saying like, oh, the vaccines are going to like change your DNA. And like the science that she was explaining was just wrong. Like I I, I teach a cell molecular biology to middle school and high schoolers. And I showed them the video. I was like, all right, let's talk about like what's right and wrong. And my kids, because we just got over this unit, knew that the science that she was saying was wrong. And I'm like, Oh my God. Either you are a terrible doctor and I would not trust you because you don't understand yeah. basic science or you're just lying to people to scare people. And it, I don't know. It's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it is. And it's really difficult for the average person to decipher, you know, because they just look at like, why would a doctor lie? Like, why would a doctor just say something like that? So it kind of makes no sense to the average person. I mean, even my friends who I'm very close with, and I've been telling them everything, you know, since March, every step that I'm going through, sometimes they're super confused about things. And they like call me and they're like, what is, you know, I saw this on the internet and I'm just like, I don't know how we fight that. I mean, it's really, it's terrible. It is. It is. And I mean, I'm super thankful. I don't consider myself like a warrior on misinformation. I'm thankful for people like uh, Laurel, King Gutter Baby and Jessica and, uh, Farah, who are out on like Instagram and these different platforms, they dedicate so much time. It takes a lot of time. I know we're going to talk about like what it means to do your own research a little bit later, but it takes a lot of time to actually look into the facts and then condense it into something that you can deliver in a few minutes that makes sense. And they're out there doing this every single day, which is it's needed. Yeah, it's impressive. Uh, Laurel, I mean, she is like a rock star. Oh my God. I, I watch her every single day. I'm like obsessed with her bangs and her information <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yes, yes. She is a queen for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So, okay. That kind of time, like the time that you take to like put together a YouTube video or that uh, debunking video that you did, how much time does that take you? Oh, I mean, it's, it's variable. It depends upon how much information you're going into, how much information do you previously have versus how much do you need to do? So the the debunking video for me was on the shorter end because it was a lot of basic science that she was getting wrong. And so it was Mm -hmm. really easy for me to already have that, that wealth of information and say, okay, here's the claim. Here's why it's not correct. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the flip side, things like I just made a video about the process for drug development. 
And so that took, uh, well, it actually took me like a, a week's worth of, of research to do. Wow. Um, yeah. That's be, a lot of time. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and then that's just actually getting all the information behind it. So I reached out to people who actually are more involved in the drug development process than I am, uh, pulled on classes that I've taken on this. And then after that, then you condense this all into a script and take a few hours to videotape it and then to caption it. So it can take anywhere from, for me, four hours to maybe four days to put together a four minute clip for, uh, for debunking information. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I empathize with you because similar to a podcast, I mean, it's not just about like you do have to do research and, and that, and then even if you have the content, you have to edit it, you have to package it, you have to post it, you have to tag everybody, you know, it, it does, it takes a long time actually. Yeah. That post-production, like behind the scenes, it's really that iceberg uh, theory, right? Where you just see the tip of it, that short little piece that gets released, but there's so much work that goes on behind it. That's so true. Yeah. What, what drives you to put that together to keep at it? Uh, I guess for me, it's a combination of two things. A, I just, I love talking about science. Mm -hmm. So you get me started and I will, I will go forever and ever. Uh Um, But particularly in this pandemic, it was really, I, started late to the game compared to a lot of other people. And it was really just because it was directly affecting my friends and family. I would hear them repeating some of this misinformation or just having general questions, very well-founded questions Mm -hmm. that they didn't know. And I realized that I have been in school studying viruses for over seven years at this point. I have this information Mm -hmm. and I, I have the ability to share it with them. And that's, that's kind of what's pushed me. And I've seen how this has helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, Hey, my job isn't a, just as a scientist to to discover things, but it's also to use what we know and what we've discovered to help other people make good decisions. Yeah. Oh my this God. Is my personal philosophy. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. Good answer. <laughs> it, it's been it's been such a crazy year. I mean, at least for me, um, you know, I I started this project during the pandemic, and really, yeah, and it, people were like, "Don't you have enough to do?" And I was like, "I I kind of need the work a little bit, even though it does tie along with COVID. I'm not in a COVID room, you know, so it's a little bit different. Um, it's good to have the distraction and to be able to talk to other people and you know have a different outlet sometimes too yeah yeah I mean even just having the side hustle I think for me it's actually it's the flip because it seems that everything I do for this is always about COVID so I I get a little bit of pandemic exhaustion uh sometimes but I don't know do you do you find that you get to talk about things outside of just the COVID stuff with this with this podcast that you picked on yeah definitely I I actually feel like sometimes I talk too much about COVID just because it's all that's going on um but actually the point of the podcast actually the point of the podcast it's it's like doctors and nurses and like relationships it's actually more like that about like how we could kind of band together and um but yeah I mean COVID has taken over everybody this year so it it has like flipped a little bit Actually, somebody, I don't know if you saw it, but somebody actually commented and they were like, when I I announced that we were doing this today and they were like, wasn't this show, didn't it used to be about doctors and nurses working together in a (laughs) hospital and now it's like this other thing. And I was like, yeah, you guys just got to roll with it. Like, I don't know. You know, the pandemic will be over. You'll be back to doctors and nurses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of which, though, do you work with any nurses or do you... 
I, I don't now in my role. I, I'm pretty much strictly in a lab, slapped up in a basement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I previously before this, I, I did. So I actually had considered the MD route. I did about 250 hours worth of, of volunteer shadowing work in there. So I got to see the doctor-nurse interaction. Mm-hmm. I totally get that uh, doctors, as cool as they like to think that they are, they are completely worthless without a nurse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you guys run the show for sure. Um, but yeah, I I did that. That actually, my, my experience in the hospital is what convinced me my original PI, Dr. Miller Hunt, as I said before, she wanted me to do a MSTP, which is a PhD and an MD together. So you kind of have that interface. But I realized that it would just crush my soul. I'm too soft of a person. <laughs> if I ever like gave the wrong diagnosis or wrong treatment and someone died because of that. So mm-hmm. I just figured if I can go my whole life without killing somebody accidentally uh, <laughs> and just make treatments that save lives, I think I could live with that. <laughs> I prefer not to accidentally kill patients <laughs> if that's okay with everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Crazy, crazy controversial. But <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Um, yeah, so, okay, so you did the shadowing when you were shadowing in the hospital. Who You were alongside doctors or residents? Or yeah, residents, uh, doctors. So it was back, back when I was at home and I kind of... I was very fortunate. Uh, I'm very persistent. So I started out just like serving food and then being like, oh, I'm really interested. Would you like let me come and watch you for a bit? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said yes. So I spent most of my time in ER. I thought the emergency department was was really exciting. There's mm-hmm. always like new mysteries to solve. Uh, I originally wanted to be in peds oncology. Uh, and it took one day of me seeing that and being like, I my heart can't do this. Uh, no. Yeah, same. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did some peds, some regular oncology, uh, and then pathology, which is actually, I didn't like being in the morgue, but I really liked the, the like mystery aspect of that. And I think that ties in well with what I do now studying viruses and how they affect the body. Yeah, definitely. There's a route for nurses to do that too. Um, it is, I think it's a master's program and, um, I I actually considered it because they're looking for people because like you're saying, people don't like to deal with that, right? They don't like to work at, you know, it's in the basement or wherever, you know. Um, but uh, it, it's really, it, there's, I think there's also um, forensic nursing you can do too, which is something similar. And it's, it's like you, kind of like what you're saying, like it's like a, a puzzle and you have to like sort of like build a case or help the police, you know, build a case or whatever, like with just the, the medical evidence which is so cool to me yeah that is really cool i didn't know that that was uh i mean not surprising i guess uh i think i feel like they've over the last handful of years again i'm not in the nursing field so i don't know for sure but there's been a lot of like more like continuing edge education programs that have been opening up to like really specify uh training for nurses right like the whole nurse practitioner program is really taking off as well definitely yeah i mean as the unfortunately as the bedside gets harder and harder there's more people looking to get more education and advance you know it's just, yeah. it's tough. <laughs> you have a very tough job. I, um, I mean, so do you. It's crazy. I see you in the lab. Like, that's crazy. It's true. It's true. But my cells never yell back at me. Nobody's <laughs> ever like cussing me out or pooping or puking on me. <laughs> yeah. One time, I don't know how grossed out you get, but <laughs> one time I had None this. At all. <laughs> okay, good. This lady and like, actually she was super nice. Like she was having a very, very rough time. Uh, she was actually very, very nice, but she was having um 
a really bad day. And she took her bedside table and she broke it, you know, and she, she broke it into pieces and all this stuff. And I went in there. She wasn't, she wasn't like that with me. It was just like taking out frustration on like things in the room or something like that. She was really kind to me. So I went in there. I said, okay, you can't have this stuff in here if you're going to keep, you know, smashing it. So I took it out. I took the smashed up pieces. I put it in the hallway so that the guys could come and pick it up. The drawer was broken and it was sitting on top of, you know, I had pulled out the drawers. So it was sitting on top of it. She came out into the hallway, took the drawer, one of them, back into her room, put it on the floor and peed in it. <laughs> And then used her call bell oh. <laughs> and, like, and was like, look what I did. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, I can't even be mad. Like, this is impressive. <laughs> like <laughs> that is, that is on another level. See, this is another reason I can't work with humans yeah. because I would just be like, just, just treat her like a, like a dog. Like naughty, <laughs> naughty. We don't do no, this here in the yeah. <laughs> Not in the drawer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Oh my God. Oh, um, okay, so let's talk about the importance of science literacy and like do your own research or I've done the research. I hear that phrase a lot, you know, uh, talk to me about that a little bit. Oh, that's such a, such a large topic. Yeah. Um, I guess we could start with the, I've done my own research thing. The first thing that keeps me is I know that somebody actually didn't do their own research when they tell you to do their own re your own research and then they don't like give you any evidence or any starting off points to like follow up with that. Uh -huh. It's like, th that's really just code for, this is my opinion and it's your job to, to prove it. Yes, so, uh, yeah. I, I feel that a lot when the times that I've had people attack me or whatever through social media and like trying to tell me that they've debunked me or whatever, it's always they're putting the ownership on me to prove things. They're never really coming at me with information. They're always coming. What about this? Want to explain this? You know, and it puts the ownership on me to now give you all of this information and cite my sources, which is a lot of it's a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, actually, that's exactly the next point I wanted to make. So in science, that doesn't fly. Uh, we call this burden of proof. And so as a, as a scientist in our field, you cannot make a claim without evidence. So any claim that you make, you have what we call burden of proof. And that is that the claim that you make, you have to provide evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's the exact opposite is what what you were explaining. What I see in the in the general public, uh, at least in like the social media sphere, is yeah, people will say, "Well, the vaccine is going to make you infertile, right, mm -hmm. or sterile." Uh, that's the most recent claim that I've been getting. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you can say that, but what's your evidence for this? What's the proof of this? Mm -hmm. And when you don't have any, and you're saying, "Well, I have to prove it to you," right? That is bad science right there. You didn't do your own research because you are not bearing that burden of proof. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And it also puts the, the, you know, the nurse or the scientist, it, it puts you like in defensive mode constantly, you constantly have to defend. And so you're not actually really educating. It's just like, they're throwing these missiles at you and you kind of have to like diffuse them constantly, but you're not really getting anywhere. That's how I feel when I engage with these people. I'm not getting through at all. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think it, it takes a real art. Uh, I always joke around. So I grew up 
in uh, rural Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's side of the family that I grew up with is like conservative, Republican, farm town, like all the things that you think about that, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with that. Again, this is who I am as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of Bible denial and, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know, just a lot of like those, like, we'll prove this, prove this. And so... And a something that I've learned over years of dealing with this is like this art of being able to say like, okay, here's what you're attacking with. And it's like, okay, let's debunk this. But then before allowing them to bring in something else, that's where you have to like change the conversation and then be like, okay, well, what you're saying, like this isn't true and it's because of this, but that's that's a valid point. And like, how can you and I work together to understand? And so like, you try to like change the conversation from being defensive to like working together to mm-hmm. understand so that they actually feel more empowered mm-hmm. to go out and share that information that they just learned with somebody else because nothing makes you feel better than being like, Hey, I'm smart about this. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And it definitely, because there is this thing on social media, I feel like no matter almost whatever topic you're talking about, where people like to, it's about their own ego or, you know, and so I do sometimes see, you know, maybe people talking down. I, I come, I come from a similar uh, area. I come from Michigan and it's, it's farm town, it's corn. And, you know, um, and I mean, I left the second I could, cause I did not fit in, you know, I was like, I gotta go to New York or somewhere different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends who live there and like you're saying, there's nothing wrong. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that life. It's just for me, I do, I find more misinformation, uh, within like my hometown community than I do here, for example. And it, it is, it's hard because I don't know about you, but like, I, I don't know, you sound really healthy is what I'm trying to say. Like my, my ego, sometimes it makes me want to go like, why do you think this? Like, stop, Like <laughs> you have to stop. <laughs> No, no, no. Those feelings are, are definitely there. I think, uh, I don't know. The first thing that I learned as a scientist was just like, you can't have an ego. Our job is like 90% failure, mm-hmm. 99% failure maybe. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's the first thing that I learned. But also you you don't make it very far when you have that ego. If you have two budding egos and it's two subjective points of view, even if you know that you're right, the other person probably also in their head knows that they're right, or at mm-hmm. least thinks that they're right. You're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is outside of even just science. I don't want to get political, but just as like human beings, right? is that the key to, to progress and to moving forward is never to prove somebody wrong or to be superior in your knowledge. It's to grow together. Unity is the strongest thing that we have uh, as a tool, right? So if you can take an enemy and make them a friend where you're walking in the same direction or a compromised direction, like you're going to get so much further than you are if you guys are just butting head to head, trying to push each other back and forth in this like tug of war of who's more right. You're never going to get anywhere. So yeah, that's kind of the approach that I take with educating anybody is like, you know, you just swallow your own ego, swallow your own pride and like try to see from their perspective and see where you can find that common ground to start growing in the right direction together. Wow. Here, here. Very good. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. Here, this is, this is something you said. Um, and I mentioned earlier, but this was your suggestion to talk about. Um, so the importance of science literacy. So as a adult now who I took, you know, science classes in high school and then, you know, I learned about 
chlorophyll or whatever. And then <laughs> I went to uh, college and I took obviously science courses for nursing school, you know, but it was more based on like chemistry, biology, you know, things like that. And then since then, the, you know, my job is a science-based job, but beyond that, um, I'm not really, it's not like I'm like learning, you know, I don't feel like I'm learning more about science than anybody else just because I'm in a science-based job. So what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think we should be doing more? Is that why you do this? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly why I do this. Uh, I think that there are different tiers of science literacy and that's just, I don't know, the educated pretentious term for just saying like understanding levels of science. So Last I looked, uh, the reports were that the average American has an eighth grade uh, uh, understanding of science. So pretty much like whatever you learn up to the eighth grade is where your concurrent understanding of science is. Mm-hmm. That's kind of highlighted in the fact that like uh, that whole the mRNA vaccine is going to change your DNA. I mean, that is a very basic concept, but that's a high school level concept, right? So essential dogma, DNA to RNA to protein, typically not reverse. Um but that's above a lot of people, even though we'd say that that's basic science. And so I see, this is actually what my goal is post getting a PhD is to, to start my own company where we just make science A, more accessible, B, more engaging. It, it can be really boring and dry um, and C, more important. I mean, for all the rhetoric that there was about like make America great again, when I talked to people about like, when do we think that America was great? It's like during the space race, right? Like when it was us versus Russia, who's going to get to the moon first, right? And guess what? That was all science, right? October sky, that whole presence. And so if we get people interested and in like idolizing Warner Von Braun's instead of, I don't know, Kim Kanye Kardashian. West. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think that that just, that just takes us a lot further. So that, that's really important to me. Um, but like I said, there's different tiers. So there's the tier of just like being open and curious and having an objective mind that allows you to be more critical in your thinking. So you hear something and you're like, okay, let's question. And like, let's spend 15 minutes to Google this and see, is there a consensus on what people are saying? Is this coming from a blog or is there a... an educational resource that is supporting this. Like that's a good starting point. But then there's a lot harder science literacy to develop and you are going to know way more about the human body and about medications and conditions than I would know. Uh, As you get into a field, you get more specific. Um, But like reading a paper is, that's a very high level scientific literacy. And so when people say, do your own research, I think a lot of people think that's just me Googling and like finding a few things. Whereas real research is either A, you're literally in a lab at the forefront of knowledge where you don't know what you're looking at is right or wrong until you've reproduced it multiple times. Or you're reading papers of other people who have done that who are using a lot of jargon, which are words that are specific to the field and they carry a lot of weight, but they're hard to understand unless you, unless you know what that is. So a great example for that is like, I can sit down and read the papers that have come out on these vaccines. And I understand what they mean by vaccine efficacy and like how that is different from effectiveness. But then I've got a friend who's in physical therapy and I'm trying to my best to like understand the conversations that we're having. So I sit down and I'll read like a manual therapy paper. I have no clue what anybody's right. saying. And then I'm like, wow, my physiology is so bad. Right. So like even in our realms, right. It's 
the expertise and literacy that you have is very specific and it takes a lot of training. So just doing your research is not as easy as it sounds when somebody posts that in a comment. You're you're so right about that. That's something I never thought of. Um, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I, I had to take research classes, you know, um, I'm, in, I'm in my master's now. I've had to do that um, for this also. Um, but even for my bachelor's, we did it. But like you're saying, it's specific to nursing research, right? It's like, it's kind of preparing you if you ever want to go into research. That's what it's really doing, right? So so even when I was reading, Laurel actually is the person who broke down efficacy, you know, versus effectiveness for me on Instagram, like a hundred percent. Like I didn't know what I was reading. I was reading some of this stuff. Like I don't how I felt kind of dumb. I was like, how do I not understand any of this, you know? And then it actually took me talking to very smart doctors that I really respect a lot. Your heart doc is one of them. And we talked about um, the vaccine when it was right, right about to come out or it just come out like the first week or something. And he, even him, he was like, you know, some of this stuff is beyond me because I don't, you know, I do cardiology. And, and like he even said, like, this is specific to that field and I don't, I don't go there, you know? So like it, that made me feel better. I was like, okay, I'm not required to know everything about everything all the time, you know? Cause when, when really smart people admit they don't know everything, it makes me go like, whoo, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. hundred percent. I think that that is the, a huge, that's the whole point of experts. So when it comes down to like, what is an expert, an expert is somebody who knows a very deep, but small sliver about something. And like as humans, the whole reason that we have experts is that we compartmentalize everything, mm -hmm. right? We are so much more productive because I don't have to know how to build a log cabin and farm like sustainable <laughs> farming and like build a wagon and also like understand bio infectious disease. We have people who dedicate their time so they're experts in that. Mm -hmm. And then we have them as resources so that we can, exactly like you said, you can go, you don't have to know everything. You mm -hmm. just go and ask the people who do know it. Right. Which yeah. gets me to like, one of my peeves is some of the, I mean, there's definitely scientists who do this as well, the whole pandemic lady, but a lot of things that I hear in common places, like people will ask their general physician or something like that questions and they'll get wrong answers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I've been accused of like, uh, like, oh, you act like you know more than, than a doctor does. And I think like the differentiation is like, I, this is going to sound maybe pompous, but I probably know more about neuroinvasive viruses than, or maybe even just general virology mm -hmm. than your run, like than a, GP a physician. doc. Yeah. 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 They're going to know way more about medications to prescribe and like what your x-ray is going to look like if you have a pneumonia than I do. But that's because our knowledge bases are very specific and different. And so I think a danger going back to misinformation is not just people doing it intentionally and being bad about that, but also overstating where your knowledge bounds are. I think as professionals, sometimes a lot of times we're actually trained that it's bad, that you're dumb if you don't have an answer to everything versus when the real thing that you should be saying is just, I don't, 
But no, I'll look into that rather than giving information that could be wrong. A hundred percent. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And and those are the people that I don't trust when they act like they know everything and they're kind of making it up on the fly. I'm like, okay, I can't trust. What what? When do you actually know? And when don't you know? You know, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> it, it's it's interesting though. I mean, for for somebody that that happened with nursing too. Like, so there were multiple nurses, there still are multiple nurses who are making money off of doTERRA or, you know, whatever aromatherapy or whatever, calling it medicine and stuff. And, um, a lot of the stuff I see on their Instagram pages are like, it's bad science and it it doesn't make sense. They're making, they're profiting off of it, first of all. And they're a trusted, you're a trusted person. If you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a scientist that the general public trusts you and you can't, you have to be really, really careful with that because it's delicate. And so we've, there are just like there are doctors who have went out and said, COVID's not real or whatever. There's been nurses who have done the same thing. And so the general public goes like, well, why would I trust you when this nurse over here in Florida is saying like, this is nothing. And she worked in the COVID ICU and it's all fake, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know how you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that, that's the biggest thorn I see is misinformation uh, is really professionals who, who do that. I, like I said, when people ask me questions uh, like just general questions, I normally, even if it's an offensive question, I don't know how to question to be offensive, but like, <laughs> You know, when they like attack you and they're like, oh, well, tell me about this thing. I'm like, okay, that's that's fair. Right? You're not in a field where you study this all the time. And like, even though you may be like putting that burden of proof on me, you just want to know because you're afraid or curious about this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you have persons who should be somewhat educated on this at any sort of level, whether you have that status of, I am a professional in some realm, be it doctor, nurse, scientist, epidemiologist. Uh, It's across the gamut. Nobody is immune to this. Um, (laughs) uh, Terrible science. No, I like like, like a great science joke. Yeah, I'm into it. (laughs) But yeah, I think that that's actually, that's what hurts my heart the most. And I think that's what's the biggest danger is the power of science isn't that science is always right. It's not that we have facts. Our, the power is in the process that develops consensus. So you have a lot of voices that aren't opinion, but a lot of voices that come from evidence that show the same thing. And that is how we say this is what it is. And so when you have dissenting voices uh, who aren't using evidence right, to support it, then you start breaking up that consensus and it makes it difficult for scientists, but more importantly, Again, coming back to, I've studied seven years of this. I don't know how long you've been in the in the nursing realm, but if you're somebody who hasn't done that, right? You're a in business. You're a psychologist. Mm-hmm. You're, I don't know, a hair salon, a hairstylist, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not your job to know all these things. How do you know who to trust? Right. Uh, losing headphones. <laughs> you're getting real worked up over there. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't tell I'm passionate about this. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, you're right. It's, it's not, it's not the general public's job, uh, to know those things. And, 
Um, I, I saw this great thing because I, what I've seen, and it's the same thing with the nurses, because once in a while when I'm going down a dark rabbit hole, I'm like, I, I'm looking out for these nurses who are selling, you know, treatments. If you just put this oil on your skin, it'll prevent COVID and all this crap. And, um, I mean, sometimes when I'm looking at them, a lot of it is framed as like, health and wellness and fitness and which the word wellness is just so broad in general, you know? And then, um, I, I saw, there seems to be like a correlation between like people who love wellness and people who maybe don't believe in COVID or minimize COVID. And, um, I saw a post from Arnold Schwarzenegger and he was like, like, if, if you want to become like the best bodybuilder in the world, like ask me, but if you want to know about like illness, you need to ask like a scientist. And I was like, thank (laughs) you for saying that. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And I saw he got his vaccine too. Okay. I have some questions for you. Okay. Did, here's one. Did Bill Nye, the science guy, or the magic school bus play a part in sparking your interest in science? This is a great question. Uh, yes, across all fronts. Uh, I love Bill Nye. When I first started, I, I first started a show back in 2017, I think, uh, called Science with Kenan. Uh, and it was super inspired by Bill Nye. I was like, we need a new Bill Nye. I think I branded myself as like the chocolatey, darker, complected version <laughs> of Bill Nye, like add a little bit of flavor to it. The new and improved. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I love Magic School Bus too. I actually, they posted on Netflix and I went back and rewatched all of them. Um, yeah. What I love about them is just like, they each have different energies, but they get you, even though again, they're directed towards kids, but people who are like in our age group still like resonate Definitely. with Bill Nye, whether your teacher rolled it in on like the VHS player and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> but they, they inspired just like the energy that they had. Like sometimes I think real scientists, when you talk to them, they're a little pretentious. Uh, people refer to it as like the ivory tower of like, there's a divide between science and the public. And I love how like Bill Nye and the Magic School Bus and Zabumafu and shows like that, even Steve Irwin, uh, the Crocodile Hunter, like they just come with this passion. It's like, hey, like, I'm just here to like tell you about this. I'm not selling you anything. I'm not trying to prove that I'm smarter. I'm just like, world is cool. Life is amazing. I was like, I want to be that person. Yeah, definitely. And that's, it's way more fun to watch too. You don't want to go like to a lecture. Like I'd rather like watch something that's kind of entertaining. Oh yeah. Edutainment. That's what I think that's the official word for it. I love it. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. I need to give a shout out to I'm Ace Hawaii. Okay. Because this person brought it with the questions and one of the questions, like it's in like a sticker format. And one of the questions it just says, I hope all these questions help because there's so many of them. (laughs) Okay. Have you done a dissertation? I am in the process of that. So that is kind of the capstone of your PhD. So biomedical research, it's a little different from other PhDs. There's no like set time. Um, So I am funded from up through nine years. So that's the longest that my PhD could possibly take me. Knock on wood, it will not take me that long. Um, But essentially, you have to publish a paper. So you have to be a first author on a paper. Um, And then your dissertation is you do a body of work that, quote unquote, gives a uh, significant contribution to your field. So 
you find something that's helpful for moving your field forward one baby step, essentially. And that's what your dissertation's on. So that's what I'm working on right now. Do you have a topic? Yeah. So I study herpes viruses, which my mom was super proud. She was like, yeah, you're never going to get married now. And I was like, that's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting, though. Uh, we, I'll, Okay. I'll, I'm going to talk to you about HSV. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me all about it. <laughs> Okay. I get so confused sometimes when we get patients to come in because, um, I don't know if you interact with them this way, but when we have patients that come in with like shingles, like body shingles, for example, and it's like, is it disseminated? Is it not disseminated? Like blah, blah, blah. Like it's always a different, like, is it contact precaution? Is it droplet precaution? There's always like different PPE requirements based on the patient. And it's always like, it's, it's the nurse's nightmare when we get one of these patients, like a brand new one from the emergency room and they come up because we don't know what we're supposed to wear yet. Cause the doctor hasn't put in the orders yet, but we have to like get the patient situated in the room, you know? So we have to like, we're just like, what should I do right now? It's like, it's everybody's like least favorite thing. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Herpes is one of the, like, in terms of what a virus is, I'm going to personify it, like what it's supposed to do. Herpes is great at its job. Uh, yeah. It doesn't kill you, which viruses don't want to do. They just want to be able to like infect you and then continually spread and like just be everywhere in the world. And so, yeah, herpes are there for life. Uh, and this is because they are super good at the ones that I study, alpha herpes, are neuroinvasive. And so these include HSV1, HSV, herpes simplex, virus 1 and 2. So I think 1 is most often associated with cold sores. Uh, 2 is what's most often associated with like genital lesions. But you can have either of them anywhere. Um, and then varicella zoster virus, which is what causes chicken pox. And then... You get chicken pox is normally when you have it disseminated across your whole body. That's the first outbreak. And then it'll actually hide in your nervous system and then you'll get reactivation. And that's what we call shingles. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy and weird. Yeah. Yeah. So these three viruses pretty much, if you don't have those, then the other one is uh, Epstein-Barr virus. Epstein-Barr. Yeah. Yeah, EBV causes mono. Uh, So between those four herpes virus, human herpes viruses, there's eight total, uh, pretty much everybody has a herpes virus. Has one. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so they're really great because they hide out in you and then normally you don't notice it and then you get like a little reactivation. You may get a cold sore. It can also reactivate and you don't get a cold sore and you just spread it to somebody else. Uh, but they're really good. <laughs> if like they touch, especially like HSV-1, if it touches your mucosal epithelia, so you touch a patient and touch your eye or your nose or your mouth, like it will infect you. You won't know that you're infected. It'll get into your nervous system and run and hide in your neurons. And then it's with you for life. Your new best friend. On the bright side, uh, not what people would typically think to say here to say, but herpes is not a terrible virus to have. I mean, very treatable with acyclovir. Uh, yeah, that's not the typical. I mean, that's really unfair for people who have it. I feel really bad. There's such a bad stigma and a lot of people have it. And that's really terrible. It is. It is. A lot of people have it. And there's a stigma about it because it's it's mostly the people who have symptomatic versions. A lot of people just have are asymptomatically infected with HSV and they could be the ones that are judging like, oh, you've got a cold sore. Like, that's terrible. And it's like, you are just as likely to be spreading that as as they are. It's just less noticeable. Right. But yeah, no, if there's one thing I wouldn't want right now, today's day and age, it's gonorrhea. Uh, we're, we're on this. 
there are multi-drug resistant strains of gonorrhea out there. We had somebody who was studying this in my undergrad lab. So no. yeah, uh, it would, it's better to have HIV, which is treatable now with art and yeah. other therapies. Um, yeah. and it is to have multi-drug resistant gonorrhea. God, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Antibiotic resistance is actually the scariest thing to me. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that is the scariest medical condition. That is going to be a a big problem for for all human society uh, in the near future. So be terrified of that. Yeah, <laughs> something else after we deal with COVID. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always we, something an infectious disease to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, while we're on this topic, do you think? What do you think? Is that going to be within our lifetime? Do you think that's a next generation problem? How long do you think it's going to take for these like, you know, quote, super bugs to be a, like, a, I mean, they already are a, a very real threat, but I mean, to be something where we're like, okay, we just can't cure this anymore. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing it. There's not as much research in developing new antibiotics anyway. It's, it's a difficult process. Uh, I think that it's something that we're seeing. So I think the best example of this, of your medical podcasts, is with uh, Staphylococcus aureus, right? So uh, staph infections used to be treated with penicillin. Uh, penicillin was invented. Uh, and now pretty much every staph is penicillin resistant, uh, PERSA. And so then we had methicillin to treat that. And now we have, uh, I want to say like 10% of the, the general population has a MRSA that you're naturally colonized with staff, uh, but has MRSA as a natural part of them. And so that's an opportunistic pathogen. You get sick, it blows up, and now you have to treat it with, uh, I think it's tetracycline is the, is the next step above that. Uh, and there is TERSA now, so a tetracycline-resistant uh, staph aureus. And so that is, it's resistant to penicillin, resistant to methicillin, resistant to, I, I think it's tetracycline. I, I think, I'm hoping that's the right, the right term for it. Um, Do you want me to look it up? Eh, we can, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, Tursa? Tursa. T-R-S-A. Instead of MRSA. Oh my God. Yep. Yep. So here's a, here's a paper from 2000. So it's not even that recent. Uh, My God. That shows that a diverse collection of methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus MRSA isolates are resistant to tetracycline. So, oh my God. Yeah, multi drug resistant so staph infections. We are, we are already there. There's this really cool experiment on YouTube uh, where they look at uh, antibiotic resistance, uh, the spread of this. Bacteria are really good at spreading information, sharing information with each other. And so they have this giant auger plate. And then they cut it into sections with more and more antibiotic uh, from the end. So it's like 0% antibiotic at the very ends. And then in the middle, it's maybe like 100%. And you can actually watch as like they, the bacteria from each side start eventually getting more and more resistance and they grow all the way until they're in the middle. And so they're completely resistant to all the antibiotic that's in there. And I, yeah, so... I, not to be super terrifying, but yeah, we're already <laughs> in this this age. This is a real problem that we are facing, and it could be by in our lifetimes that it's more severe. Um, definitely, I would say within the next two generations that that is, if something's not done about it. 
that is a, a big part worry. So I had a, um, I think it was a microbiology teacher once who said at some point, it's like um, antibiotics as a treatment is sort of like a bell curve in like human history. Like we didn't have anything and then we got some and now we're sort of at the peak of like we have a lot of treatments and most of them work pretty well. But eventually it's going to go back down as like these resistant, you know, bacterias. And uh, eventually we'll get to a point where really we don't have treatment again. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think that that is... That is the the trend that we will probably see. And the thing is that as smart humans who have the ability to use science, it's up to us to, to come up with ways to get around this. So new antibiotic uh, development is, is one field. Actually, coming back to my field, there's a really cool arm of research called phage therapy. Um, and so there are viruses that only infect bacteria, and they're typically fairly specific in the bacteria that they infect. Uh, some of them only infect one certain like strain of a certain species of virus or of bacteria. And so we can use these things called phage therapy. A lot of the research is happening over in Europe, um, um, but they've been looking into essentially taking these bacteria that they can, they don't, and they can't infect human cells. Uh, bacteria and human cells are different just fundamentally. And they treat patients who have like uh, infections, say like, uh, diabetic patients who have a foot infection, they will co-treat them with these cocktails of bacteriophage. And they're seeing that it actually it kills the bacteria. It's good. It doesn't infect the good bacteria inside of you, unlike antibiotics, which kill pretty much all bacteria. Uh, so this is a really cool arm that maybe be maybe is a, a future for addressing these antibiotic resistant bacteria. Wow, that's really interesting. That's fascinating. Knowing what you know now. What advice would you give your younger self? Oh, that's that's a rough question. Jeez. Uh, yeah, it is. Let's get really deep with it. We already talked about herpes, so we're, we're going there. <laughs> oh, this is always a tough question because I am a very firm believer in things happen for a reason. I don't know if it's, if it's fate, divine destiny, whatever, but like all of the experiences that you've been through form you into who you are now. And so, uh, I mean, I have my own self-esteem issues and everything, but as a whole, I'm very, very happy with who I've turned out to be, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know if I would change a lot of things in the past to give myself advice. I was, and what I'm thinking of specifically is I was actually a bad student. So it's cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to say that like I'm doing a PhD at Northwestern, um, because I am a two-time college dropout, I think in high school I had a 2.8 GPA and I was more concerned with playing sports than getting good grades. When I went to college for the first time, I was more concerned with founding a fraternity, starting a clothing t-shirt line, still playing sports, than focusing on my grades. I think I had a 2.8 again uh, and I dropped out. And so like, these are things that you wouldn't typically think of someone. So like, I might be like, oh yeah, like focus on, you're going to become a microbiologist. You should just focus on that and like make your path a lot shorter. But I don't know if it wasn't for those things. I also got to be like a track coach when I dropped out and I coached two state champions. So I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. I don't know if I would trade that in. Yeah. So I think if I had one piece of advice, maybe it would just to be to, to have more self-confidence 
and like things were going to work out earlier because I didn't learn that lesson until later on in life. I spent a lot of time being like anxious and worried and like criticizing myself uh, for not excelling where I should have been, where I should have been like showing myself more love and being like, you know what, just keep pushing forward and like things will work out. Self-love. Definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. Actually, I'm going to jump off of your, I'm going to answer it too. I'm going to jump off of your answer. Something similar. I think I would, I would have said, um, I was under the impression I I've always been a very anxious person and I was under the impression as a kid that I was the only person that felt like awkward or weird or that I didn't fit in. I thought I was the only person who ever experienced that in my whole, you know, in the world. And I wish I could go to like 11 year old me and be like, you know, everybody feels how you feel, right? You know that everybody feels weird. Right. And like, it's cool to be weird. Just like be yourself. It's fine. Yes. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Just embrace who you are. Yeah. 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 Cause then people are actually drawn to you instead of like, you're trying to like mold yourself into being this abnormal version and like, you know, I don't know, just like let, let it loose and, and be loud about it. Like it's fine. For sure. You just draw your people to you and then it's so much better to just hang out with like the like-minded people than like pretending to hang out with people where you're like, eh, we don't have that much in common. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when, um, when I hear, especially younger, um, girls, like, I, I have a, a family friend who she's, she's very young. She's like 18 years old. And when I hear her talk about like fake friends and all of that stuff, I'm like, you, you kind of, whatever you're putting out, you sort of get back too, though. Right. Like if you're being kind of fake to fit in, then like your friends are not going to be true friends sometimes either. That's the risk you're taking. So yeah. Anyway, we went, we went deep in this <laughs> we, episode. We did. We did. I mean, I went, we could do a whole thing on mental health and oh my gosh. So. Oh, please come <laughs> back and we will. I'm, we haven't done a mental health episode yet. Yeah. I would love that. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't talk specifically about the science, but I feel like we all have <laughs> <Yeah>. our journeys. <laughs> totally. Totally. We could get, we'll get somebody on. We'll do like a discussion <laughs> or a panel or something. Um, Actually, we talked about a good amount of this. Oh my God, some of these are too deep. I'm not, don't even answer oh, this, but no. I just want to, I'm, I'm going to say it. If you died today. <laughs> I love it already. I love it already. <laughs> if you died today, what would you want people to remember about you? <laughs> oh, that is, that's a really deep question. All right. Go for it if you want. That is like rough. Ah. <laughs> what do I want people to remember me for? I just want people to think that, I don't know, like I was a nice and caring person. I think this stems from my mom though, because her favorite compliment when I graduated from high school, like at my graduation party was I always worked with kids. I, I love working with kids and a bunch of parents from like kids that like she didn't know. I had probably forgotten. It sounds terrible maybe, but they all came up to my mom and were like, Oh, Kevin's so nice. Like he made my kid like feel like they fit in and everything. I was like, Aww. that was a compliment that I didn't know that I needed, but like it felt really good. And if I can like die today and people still say that, like I made them feel accepted. I think that that's, that's cool. I've got to say that's for my really grandpa, nice. that is uh, my next tattoo for sure. But it says a life is only worth the amount of lives that it touches. And I'm like, I, that's the philosophy that I base myself off of. Yeah. Yeah. That is so nice. I have a tattoo of my grandmother's handwriting actually. <laughs> Yeah, what that's kind of funny. Too deep? 
it it's actually it's just her i don't know if you can see it it's just her it just says love grandma it's from like a card she wrote me and it was just and she has like this very pretty handwriting so i was like let me just like get this because that's something i'll i'll always like no matter what yeah i love it i love a good tattoo and i love a great i I love a great tattoo with some sentiment behind it Yeah, grandparents are the best, yeah. Wait, do you have an answer to this, or is that too deep? Like, uh, you put me on the spot. I I need to know now. Is my answer a normal answer, or? (laughs) I don't know. I I think if I, God, it's, it's hard because I think it's too aggressive. I think if I were to die, I would want people to be like, there's something that I created, like, that's lasting like um that continues like i my my goal one day with some of this stuff and i don't know exactly how it's all gonna tie together but the goal is to eventually make something where i'm not working for a hospital system i'm I'm offering service to people in other ways and um whether it's like public health or maybe global public health or you know i'm not exactly sure um something like that like if I founded, if there was like a little institution or a little company or a little something that's like, Abby made that, you know, and it, it, I died, but it's still helping people, you know, after I die like that, that would be cool. But that's like very ambitious. I don't know. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I love that dream. I, I have a similar one uh, in the science communication realm, but I, I always call people with that mindset. I said they have an Achilles complex, right? <laughs> Where it's like, you know, if you, did you watch the movie Troy? Uh, I haven't. Ah, I haven't seen it. Classic Brad Pitt movie, but uh, <laughs> there's a scene in there. I'm gonna watch it today. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. There's a scene in there where, like, uh, I don't know, some fortune tellers, like, if you don't go to battle, like, you're gonna live like this beautiful life and have like all of your kids and your grandkids will remember you and their kids will remember you and then you'll be done. If you go to mm-hmm. war, you're gonna die, but they will know your name for ages. Like, you'll have a legacy essentially. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel that. I, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I, I, want, I want something that will last forever. I just want to be eternalized <laughs> in my legacy. It's no big deal. Right, yeah. yeah. Let me just change the world. Very small goals. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll retire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you're very unambitious. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. One more question. Let's see. Uh, what type of work environments do you prefer? Do you like to be by yourself or part of a team? I guess that's a good question because when you said you're in the lab, I don't really understand what that means. Are you on a team physically or is it, how does that work? Yeah, so in my lab, there's five of us, I believe. Um, But we all have our distinct projects. So we get together once a week and have lab meeting where we talk about what we're doing, but our projects are different from each other. So there are people there um, a little bit different of an environment during the pandemic there versus when you didn't have to worry about that, but you're very much solo in what you're, you're doing. Um, and that's, I don't know. I, I am a weird person where like, I am, I'm never in the middle. I am two extremes of both sides. So like at some point I really enjoy it. Like I love being able to go to, we call it the hood. Um, Essentially, it's just got like laminar airflow so that you don't get germs inside and outside. That's where you work with your cells. And so I love being able to just go and put on like a good podcast, listen to some old timey Sherlock Holmes or jam out to music and not have to talk to anybody and just like be able to, to do work. 
But on the flip side, I also love interacting with people. Um, so my ideal workplace, uh, when I eventually get this company kicked off the ground, is to be very collaborative, where I love the idea of just like sitting in a conference room, just bouncing ideas off of each other, and then like being able to go out and delegate. And then after having that session, then being able to like work on your own. But I, I don't know. I, my 16 personality type says that like, I mostly thrive off of other people. Other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's weird. I know it's like a completely different job, but actually that is similar to how nursing is. Um, and even though you're working directly with a patient, right? So you are with people, right? But um, I'm on a team, but my patients are really my patients. As far as the other nurses go, the other nurses only will interact with my patients if I ask them to. Right. So I kind of have like a little control. Like it's almost like my little bubble of like how I want to run things or how I want to handle certain situations, you know, within the guidelines of the doctor, obviously. And we have, you know, more team members than just myself, but when I'm on the floor and there's not an emergency where I have to call the doctor or something, it's kind of like my show in a way, like it's my project and I can kind of handle it the way I want. But then I am, like you're saying, like among other people and, and there is a bigger picture and I can talk and interact, but I can also like, just kind of like, I can go into a COVID patient's room who's on a vent and it's just like me and that patient, you know, and, and the patient's not responsive or anything, but it's, it's like, it's a similar thing. I can kind of like dig my heels into the work and, and that is really fulfilling too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you just have like a living person in your intubated patient versus I just have a handful of living cells. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's like a similar thing though. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed our talk. Please come back again. Anytime you want me, I am more than happy. This was so much fun. Don't. Okay. Be careful <laughs> what you say. Cause I'm going to be like emailing you like next week. I'm like, come back on. Yeah, it's okay. Just a recurring <laughs> Sunday, Sunday segment with Kenan. I, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sunday sesh. <laughs> Aw, okay. Um, give me the names of like your YouTube and whatever else, your Twitter, your Instagram, everything. Yeah. I should be so much better about branding myself and all of these things. Uh, I just do it for fun. I, until I get paid for what I do, I am adamant that social media and all of this, like I will not do it if it's not fun anymore. Um, mm -hmm. but Whilst I do that, so I say this as a precursor because I talk about a lot of COVID stuff, but as soon as all of this is done, like you're going to get back to a bunch of like dumb pictures of me at the beach and be like, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, do that. People will like that too. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram just at my name at Kenan Hutchison. Um, I also made a, another account when people started following me for some bizarre reason, uh, just for the science show that I have at Science with Kenan, which is also on Instagram. And then on YouTube, you can look up Science with Kenan, and that is where a bunch of my older shows and occasionally new videos pop up. I'm not so, I'm, I'm there on Facebook. You can try to find me, Kenan Hutchison, uh, also on Snapchat, but I, I don't play around with those so much. Instagram is my main hub. Yeah, me too. It's too much to manage. I can't deal with all of it. It is, it is. Like I said, it's just for fun. I'm just like, all right, let's drop a picture or a funny story and yeah, That's it. I don't have I don't have time to be making videos all the time. <laughs> I know. And and the people on TikTok, I 
I consider myself a pretty computer literate person. I'm on TikTok. I don't know how these like 15 year olds are making these really high quality videos and they're like stitching them all together and all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't do any of it. Like, I don't know how to use it at all. You got to watch out now. Now we're calling out our age because yeah, I remember being a kid and being like, ha, my parents can't get that. And I'm like, ah. How are these young whippersnappers yeah. able to make these videos? <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, I'm not that old. Like, I, I, how do I not know how to use this just by looking at it? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my gosh well anyway thank you so much i really appreciate it sounds good i mean i will be tuning into the rnmd from here on out yeah It'll be part of my new yeah. hood, my new hood listening uh playlist <laughs> yeah listen to the sounds of our voices talking about herpes and and our death wishes yeah. <laughs> while you're doing science <laughs> all right take care have a good rest of your day all right you too see ya Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you to Kenan for being our wonderful guest. If you like the show, please rate and review. We really need the likes. We need the um, the typed response reviews on Apple, on Spotify. Um, join us on Instagram, RNMD Podcast, or my personal Instagram, The Nocturnal Nurse. You can join Kenan Hutchinson's Instagram. It's his full name or Science with Kenan or both. Um, thank you again. We love you. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, want to be on the podcast, have a topic, please email me at rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, take care. Bye.